continuing in our series, Walking Through the Life of Christ. Um, last week, we talked about the flight to Egypt, and uh, today we're picking up the Joseph and Mary have returned back to uh, their homeland, but they're fearful uh, because Herod's son, Antipas, has become the king, and they're fearful of him, so they don't settle back down in Bethlehem where they were living. They instead return to Joseph's homeland of Nazareth, and Nazareth is... Uh, it's a backwater town. Anybody from a backwater town? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a backwater town. It's one of those where, you know, you say, I'm from Nazareth. They're like, where's that exactly again? And you're like, okay, so you're going to get to the big oak tree and you're going to take a left and then you'll reach the middle of nowhere and you take another left and you'll go for a while. That's the kind of place. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of Jesus' disciples named Nathaniel, when he gets called to be a disciple, he hears Jesus is from Nazareth and he goes, what good ever came out of Nazareth? Um, uh, it's just this like place that it was, they, it's the middle of nowhere. I looked uh, you, if you look on a map, it's like, you got the sea of Galilee, you've got Jerusalem and the, and the Jordan river, all this cool stuff over there. You've got the Mediterranean sea over there and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere between them. There's nothing really all that neat between it. It's really honestly a backwater place. So they move there and we really don't really have much of a record of Jesus's life as a child or adolescent outside of the event where at age 12 they go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast and an amber alert goes out for Jesus because he is uh, he's hanging out. Can you imagine the fear of like you travel with big group, a caravan family and you're returning back to the middle of nowhere and you look around and you're like, okay, you're doing the count and you're like, wait, we only got like one kid to count and he's not here. Um, <laughs> Jesus was not there. They panicked. They returned to Jerusalem. They're hunting for him. He's in the temple. He says, you know, wouldn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? He knows his calling from that young age. Um, and then, again, the story kind of goes blank for a while, and it picks up when Jesus is a man. Um, he's, he's most likely taken on his, his father's business of being a carpenter, but uh, he steps out then and goes to the Jordan River, which is quite a journey from, from, uh, from where he was living, goes to the Jordan River, and he's baptized by John the Baptist. And he comes out of the water, and the Bible says that the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and God speaks to Jesus and says, you are my son whom I love. And, and it's this affirmation of God's presence and the spirit comes on, on Jesus. And this is where our story picks up. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four, picking up in verse number one. So it says this, then Jesus full of the Holy spirit returned from the Jordan river and he was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hangry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it to I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him, and serve only him. So then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So, 
Jesus has this incredible baptism moment. He receives this affirmation of God. You are my son who I love. I'm, I'm pleased with you. And it says that Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that the Spirit comes down on him and he's filled with this power and this anointing. But have you ever noticed it seems like whenever you're on this spiritual mountaintop, you've had this moment of just enlightenment. You feel the presence of God so, so evidently in your life. You can just count on there being a heavy barrage from the enemy right away. Right at the end of that, you're like, okay, now what's coming? You know, that, because the enemy is waiting to shoot down whatever has been, God has been stirring and cultivating in your heart, whatever he's been prompting to you in your soul. And so Jesus has this, this affirmation of his status and his purpose and full of the Holy Spirit. He goes into the desert and then he endures temptation for 40 days. So what is temptation? I think most of us could kind of give a dictionary definition of temptation, but I'll just tell you what temptation is scripturally and what the way we understand it uh temptation purely exists with the singular goal of seeing us fail and turn against god's way temptation's goal is to see us turn against what god's way would be it's it's the the caramel coating of the poison apple as it were oh you like that i came up with that on my own thank you it's what it's what makes sin look alluring and appealing, right? It's what draws us in. It makes it, us feel like it's worth it. And, uh, and the Bible is clear, though. It talks about two different things. It talks about temptation, and it also talks about testing. And the Bible is very clear that God does not tempt us. In James chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, God cannot be tempted, nor does he test. And this is an interesting thing, because there we see the humanity of Christ, right? Because Jesus was tempted, and yet James says God cannot be tempted. So we see the humanity of Christ while he's in the desert. But it also says, nor does he tempt us into sin. So while God doesn't tempt us, he does allow testing in our lives. So how do we tell the difference between these two things? You see, while tempting exists with the pure purpose to deceive us and destroy us and to, and to get us to fail and to turn against God, tests are the process by which our faith is proven and grown. If you've ever gone to school, when you have a test, hopefully your teacher isn't just putting the test out there with the purpose of seeing you fail. But it's to show what you've learned. It's to show what you've walked through, what you've experienced, and it's to be that evidence of what you have, you have grown in. And so in the same way, when God allows tests in our lives, it's not with him waiting with bated breath to see, like, I got him on this one. But rather it's, okay, now let's confirm what's been developed in your life. Let's see those spiritual uh, stepping stones that you've been growing in be proven. And so um, God allows testing in our lives, but that's different than the temptation that the enemy brings. So, so when we look at this narrative of Jesus enduring this, tempting, uh, t- enduring this temptation, the very first thing we draw from this narrative is that we can understand it's not a sin to be tempted. That's good news. Because we engage with temptation every single day. I guarantee it. There is temptation every day. Walk through the frozen aisle of your grocery store. There is an ice cream, lines of ice cream that are temptation just waiting for you to grab. I'm not saying ice cream is a sin, but maybe for some of us. Um, but, But Jesus is the sinless son of God. And yet he faced temptation. And this actually is not the only time Jesus would ever be tempted. If you look back at what it said here at the end of verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And so this was not going to be the last time Jesus was tempted. It wasn't like Jesus was like, glad I got that taken care of. Let's move on to the rest of things humans experience. (laughs) But rather, this was was something that he would walk through daily, regular temptation. Look, um, so then Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast 
to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect, tempted as we are. Thinking about that, what does that mean, every respect? In every respect, Jesus endured temptation like we do. Well, let's look back at what this story talks about. Let's look at these different temptations Jesus faced more closely. First of all, Satan tells Jesus, he says, why don't you turn some of these uh, stones into Red Lobster Cheddar Bay biscuits, right? He's like, you're hungry. Make these into delicious bread. And, And temptation, the first thing we can see is temptation attacks our flesh. Temptation comes after uh, our, our, our fleshly weakness. You see, our spirit may be full. Remember, it says Jesus went into the desert full of the spirit. But he came after Jesus' flesh because um, we can be fully committed in our spirit, but our flesh is weak. Matthew twenty six forty one. I bet Jesus was thinking about this occurrence when he said this. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter t- into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So temptation attacks our flesh. Not only that, but temptation knows when and where to strike, right? Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. It knew where his weak point was. Back to the grocery store kind of illustration. They say, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. You'll buy a whole bunch of things you never really should have been buying or wanted to buy, right? The enemy knows when to attack us when we're at our weakest, when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated with our spouse or with our family or with our boss or whatever it might be, when we're, when we're uh, tired, when we're physically tired. We've had a long work week. We, we put in 60, 80 hours at the job. When, when, uh, when we're literally physically hungry, when we're, uh, whatever might be going on, our flesh is at its weakest. And that's when temptation knows when and where to strike. It's no fool. And so, um, so, so temptation strikes at our propensities and our, our natural uh, tendencies. And sin would not, not be appealing if it wasn't for things, it went after things we actually thought would fulfill us. And so, so that's, that's the first thing. And then Satan's second temptation was to offer Jesus all the glory of the kingdoms of this earth. He says, I will give you all of this if you just bow down and worship me. You see, sin's, sin's temptation next is to give us what we think we deserve. All of the worship, all of the adoration, all of the power should be yours, Jesus. And you know what? That's true. What Satan's was offering was a very valid thing. Jesus deserved all of the kingdoms of the earth to bow down to him. And later, it depends on kind of your understanding of Jesus' humanity and godhood. But later in this chapter, if you skip ahead a little bit, the very next section is called Jesus Rejected at Nazareth, his hometown. So Jesus was about to experience not just rejection, but rejection from everyone he knew. So if Jesus knew that this was coming, Satan was offering not just that Nazareth would accept you. He says, the kingdoms of this world will bow down before you. And he says, he says uh, uh, basically, everything that's going, that you're working towards and should be yours, I can give to you now in this moment. And, and, and temptation comes after uh, this, this, what we feel like we deserve. And lastly, Satan tells Jesus, he says, throw yourself off the temple. Bungee jump and see if God will catch you. And temptation then appeals to our pride because he talks about... Look at who you are, Jesus. You are untouchable. God told you that you won't even stub your toe on a rock. And if God, uh, God protects you, that means you can't fail. You're too strong. You're too mature. You're too beloved by God. You can do anything because he won't let you down. God wouldn't let that one bad choice affect you. He, you're too beloved by God for him to allow this one choice to go to sin to really be a problem. You'll be saved. And how many of us rationalize our temptation by saying, well, God just, he'll save me still. He loves me. I'm in his grace. His grace catches me. 
And we lean into this pride of, of this, uh, where our stance with God is, and, and we make uh, excuses for our sin. We make excuses for yielding to temptation. So um, while it's not a sin to be tempted, we need to also realize we, none of us are above temptation or too strong to be overcome by it. 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So then, with this warning, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Temptation's after us. It's going after all these things. How do we live victoriously? How do we live in victory? How do we overcome temptation? Or can we even overcome temptation? The famous playwright Oscar Wilde once said, I can resist everything except temptation. You see, while facing temptation is an unescapable fact, folding to it is not. It's an unescapable fact. If you are human, if you are breathing oxygen and you are carbon-based, you will face temptation. However, while that is inevitable, it is not inevitable that you must fold to that temptation. Some of us feel like it's helpless. If I am in this situation and this temptation comes, maybe it's an addiction that I've got. There's nothing I can do to fight it. It just is what it is. I've, come, I've tried everything in the book. There's nothing I can do to overcome it. The truth is that it is possible to overcome temptation. The, see, the beautiful thing is the continuation of what we just read in 1 Corinthians 10 says this. So it starts off by saying, if you think you're standing strong, be careful to not fall, right? That's the first warning. No one is above temptation. Jesus was tempted. But then it says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God will always provide a way of escape from temptation. There will always be a way of escape. He will show you a way out. Well, what, what is that way out? How do I, what is that way out? You know what? I don't know necessarily. I don't know what God may show you, but there are several things and ways in which we can escape that temptation. It may be through confession. Let me tell you, there is power to confession. The Bible says that um, whoever conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses their sins prospers. And through speaking out uh, what we struggle with, what we may be facing, it takes that power away from sin. You see, sin grows best in the dark. Sin grows best in the dark. But, but when we speak it out, when we confess it, it takes that power away. It may be in reaching out to someone for help. We weren't meant to walk this life alone. I like what Melissa said about community and we need each other. It may be saying, I need you to help me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to rally around me. The, um, Perhaps someone's told you that you have a problem. Maybe two or three of people have told you you have a problem. Let me tell you, if more than two people have told you you have this problem, you have this problem. Face the issue, right? It's time to face up to what's going on, to own it. And so um, maybe there's some honesty that you need to have. Maybe you need therapy or rehab. Let me tell you, there are wonderful, wonderful tools and people that have been uh, preparing themselves to help you through these seasons. It may be accountability, someone who has access and can get in your face and ask you the hard questions. I don't let any Joe Schmo just come in and tell me, you know, what I need to be doing with my life. But maybe there's someone you trust. You say, I need you to speak truth to me. I need you to hold me accountable. Maybe it's through a piece of software on your computer or phone. But it could be through accountability. Let me tell you, sometimes we we use this verse in in Corinthians and and we say, okay, God provides a way of escape. I'm just going to just hope that that happens. And I'm going to just sit here and see what happens. Let me tell you, if you're trying to escape something, it requires action on your part, right? Right? Looking for that way out. Searching, saying, God, help me find this escape. 
God's not going to just magically pluck us out. But rather, we need to know, uh, find the way of escape. And the, the most, probably the most important way, it's without option, is we need to know the Word of God inside and out. We need to know our Word. We need to know our Word. The Bible says that we need to hide God's Word in our heart, the psalmist says, that I might not sin against you, God. When we hide God's Word in our heart, when we are saturated in truth, that is, that is the ultimate weapon against the enemy. Because knowing Scripture intimately and personally puts the sword of the Spirit in our hand. Then we actually have something that we can fight back against the enemy with. Look at what happens when Jesus is tempted. The enemy knows His Word too. The devil comes to Jesus and what's he do? He quotes Scripture at him. He just twists it. What's the very first sin that happened? What did the enemy do? He came and said, did God really say? And then he brings scripture and then he twists it. See, the enemy wants to, wants to make you feel like sin is reasonable and justifiable. And maybe even, maybe if you, it could be a God thing if you look, look at it in a different light. So it's so important that we need to know scripture, that we know the word, that we plant it deeply in our heart, that we can speak it without going, okay, let me get in my concordance here. Uh, I am dealing with uh, lying. But be able to speak truth into the situation, to know our word. But not just knowing the word, but doing the word. Don't just be knowers of the word, but doers of the word. That's what James says. In James 1, it says, But don't just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Did you hear that? The word will set us free. The word sets us free. So when we have truth, when we have the word of God planted deeply in our lives, then what do we do? We speak truth to the lies. The enemy sows these lies. The enemy twists the word of God. Then we speak truth to the lies. The only power Satan has, this is the good news, the only power Satan has over any believer is the lies he tells us. And the only way he's able to use that power is when we believe those lies. That is the only strength he has over any believer. But Satan, the good news is this, is a defeated foe. He's already been defeated. We have the victory through Jesus. Praise God. We have the victory through Jesus. He's a defeated foe. Now, now let me tell you, following Jesus doesn't mean just the elimination of temptation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just be like, well, I'm following Jesus. Glad that's taken care of. But rather, it's the declaration of war on the temptation that's already there. When we follow Jesus, we are now declaring war on the temptation that's already there. On our own, we would be helpless to battle temptation. Before Christ, we lived at the mercy of our sinful nature. We had no power. But Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, remember the flesh is that weak part of us, right? It's the part that says our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. So we're living this life in the flesh. It says, but we live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So it's this power of Jesus living through us while we still live in this weak and broken flesh. The power of God lives in me. It's Christ in me that is more powerful than any, uh, any desire that I face that would be tempting. If it's the desire that's, in a, that's found in a bottle, let me tell you, he is stronger than that desire. If it's a desire that's in a syringe, let me tell you, he is greater than anything you can find in that syringe. If it's a desire that's filth found on a screen, let me tell you, he is more than you could ever find in that. If it's a desire and the gratification... Uh, uh, of tearing people down around you or someone wounded me and I know that I can wound them back. He is mightier than being able to strike back at those that hurt us. If it's a desire of how I medicate myself with food, let me tell you, he is more. He is more. He is more than all of these things. And so James 4, 7 says, so humble yourselves then before God, resist the devil and then he will flee from you. I love that. The enemy doesn't just throw up his hands and go, oh well, it says he will flee. Flee means running away in terror. Ah! But there's two steps involved with that. There's something vital we need to see here. What's the first thing we must do? It says, humble yourselves before God. See, pride tells me I can resist. Pride tells me I will just be a better person. I will just do X, Y, Z, yada, 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 and I will overcome this. But rather, James says, we need to submit to God. And then when we submit to God and fully say, God, I am humbling myself before you. Then when we resist the devil, it says he will flee from us. But it's something we cannot do on our own. I love this that Craig Rochelle says. He says, every temptation is an invitation to depend on God. I love that. What if we started viewing temptation as an invitation to say, God, let me grow closer to you. I need to humble myself further. There is a battle going on and I need you to come and take over. And I need to lean onto you so that the enemy might flee before you. So here's the bottom line. If I were to say anything, I'd say this. The best way to resist temptation is to eliminate it or ourselves to flee from it. Let me ask you, why would it make sense... To resist temptation in the future if I could just avoid it altogether right now. A lot of believers think that they're engaging in spiritual warfare by entertaining temptation and letting it just hang around. Or know, know that it's coming and go, get, Lord, I'm getting ready to step into a real spiritual battle. I'm going into the casino today and I just need you to really just put your angels around me. There's going to be a battle. I'm going to want to gamble. But Lord, I need you to really protect me. And we think we're engaging in spiritual warfare, but let me tell you, toying with temptation is not spiritual warfare. Toying with temptation is not spiritual warfare. One of the most brutal and most effective martial arts that's known is called Krav Maga. And it's, uh, it was developed by Israeli special forces. They, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. They kind of combined judo and boxing and aikido and wrestling into this, uh, this system of fighting, which really is to, the goal is to inflict the most damage possible quickly and, uh, and in the most unfair way possible. It's using whatever you got around you, throw dirt in their eyes, it doesn't matter. You are going to fight for your life. And, uh, and these practitioners that know this, uh, this, this martial art um, are some of the most dangerous people with their hands on this earth. What they're capable of makes them some of the most dangerous people on earth. But they know that they're not there for sportsmanship points. They're there to fight for survival. And despite knowing all these brutal means of being able to inflict damage, do you know the number one goal of Krav Maga is to run away? It's to get away. It's to give yourself the chance to escape. 
And let me tell you, we have been empowered by God. We have been given the sword of the Spirit. We've been given the armor of God. But a lot of us are standing right in front of the enemy with temptation and just going, all right, I've got to keep fighting and hope I don't really yield to this. And we let the temptation just hang around. The number one best way, best thing we can do is resist the devil. He will flee and then ourselves get away from that temptation. Get away from that thing that's causing us to fall into sin. Uh, that's the best chance we have to, to thrive. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul writes to this young pastor, he says, Run from anything that stimulates youth, youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Run. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. 1 Timothy 6.11, But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Don't entertain temptation. Don't even entertain it. So victory is ours over temptation, but there is a way out. Remember, Jesus is talking about escape here. There is a way out. So here's my challenge to you. Don't just take this word and say, well, God gave me victory over temptation, so I'm going to stand right in front of it and just hope for the best. But rather, we need to completely devote ourselves to the Lord and focus our lives on godly things of faith, love, perseverance, gentleness, serving one another, finding ways to be used by the Spirit in mighty ways. So, so don't enter, even entertain temptation. Don't allow it a place in your life. When I was a kid, we lived across the street from an elementary school. And this elementary school had a drainage, uh, a rain, rain runoff drainage ditch in the parking lot. And it would rain really hard when we lived on the coast, and it would fill up with water beautifully deep, like, like knee-high or deeper. And I loved to ride my bike through that puddle. My mom didn't like it as much, but I loved to ride my bike through that puddle. And one day my mom said, Brent, it rained a lot out there. I do not want you riding your bike through that puddle. You are not to ride your bike through that puddle. You, I just washed your pants. Do not ride your bike through that puddle. And I went across the street with no intention of riding my bike through that puddle. Wasn't going to do it. So I'm riding out there, but that puddle was cool looking. So I thought, I won't ride through it. I'll skim that edge. Because you know when you ride your bike right through the edge, it, go, it makes that sound right when you go through. And it was so cool. And went the other way. But it makes a cooler sound if you're a little bit further. And it's like... And so I went through, I went through that puddle a couple more times. And before you know it, I was getting a... I thought, if I lift my legs, then I'm not getting... So, through the middle of the puddle. But then a couple times, you get too slow and you got to pedal out. And before you knew it, my pants were wet all the way up to here. And I went home. And I experienced such forgiveness for my mother. It was just a beautiful moment of... I never went to ride my bike with the intention of going into the middle of that puddle. And that's how so many of us are with sin. We entertain it. We go, you know, technically this isn't sin, right God? By definition, if you look in the Bible, you can't find X, Y, Z as sin in the Bible, but we're toying with that line. We're playing with that space. And before you know it, you look back and go, what happened? I'm, I'm up to here in sin. I've, I've, I've walked away from you, God. I'm, I'm covered in filth. I can't, and I can't get out now. I'm addicted to this, this, this addiction, whatever it might be, through, through substance abuse or pornography or whatever it might be. And I thought I was just toying with this, but now I am owned by it. I'm a slave to it. And today I want to encourage you, church, if you are in that place, don't fool yourself into thinking you're stronger. It is Christ in me that overcomes these things. It is Christ in me that overcomes the things that this flesh would be so weak in. And so right now, I want us to take a moment. 
and come to the Lord before we move forward in this service with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Brent, that, I don't know what that might be. But I've been captive to my sin. That means when that temptation comes along, I am useless in the fight. I can try to resist. I can try to do the best I can. But I fold every single time. I I may hold off for a moment, but I know that I will be right back in the middle of it. And I know that I am breaking God's heart. I have broken His law. And now I need to have Christ in me. Rescue me from this. I need to flee from this. I need to resist it. Right now, church, if that's you, this is a moment of real honesty. Let me tell you, you might have some pride in this moment. Remember... Temptation attacks our pride. You might say, I'm not going to raise my hand. This is between me and the Lord, and I'm going to keep this to myself. Let me say, speak it out into the light. If it is big enough that it has been holding you back for this long, now is the time to say, God, I give it to you. I release it to you. It is no longer something I can do but Christ in me. And so right now, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to come into my life and give me this freedom. So if that is you in this room, without fear, without condemnation, you say, Jesus, I need you to set me free. Raise your hand right now. Raise it high. I want to pray with you. Hands across this room. Hands across this room. Right now, Holy Spirit, for every hand that is raised, for every person that has had the courage and the boldness and even the brokenness to say, God, I am a wretched, broken person without you. I need you to set me free right now, Lord. I pray for your restoration. I pray for you to set the captives free where temptation has held sway, where people's lives have been held uh, captive by what the enemy has done. I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. I pray for the courage to throw out things that need to be thrown out so that we can never return again, that we burn the ships at this moment. Whatever we could give ourselves as an option of return would be gone. And Lord, right now, we do it only through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do it only through the power of Christ in me, not through our own strength. So right now, we run to the Father. We give you it all. We say, Jesus, set me free. Jesus, I need you to set me free because I cannot do this on my own. And right now, we claim the victory in the mighty, awesome, powerful name of Jesus, the one who, who walked this life, who endured temptation as we all do, but went without sin. And he is the one who sets us free today. And we thank you for it, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I really liked this last song that Jordan led us in. It says, leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait. And the last thing I want to do is, if, if you have been owned by your temptation and you've never given your life to Jesus you know that whatever that thing is it has just it's got your name and you have never given your life to Christ and said Jesus I need you to set me free Jesus I need you to set me free if that's you all our heads are up because there's no shame in this in saying Jesus I need you to be my Lord and be my Savior As a matter of fact, this is a joyous thing to say, I'm surrendering to you, Jesus. And today, together, we're going to come to Christ and we're going to say, Jesus, I know that you're the Son of God. I know that you came to die for my sins and my failures. And I know that when I give you my life, I have eternity that has been prepared for me in advance. That Jesus, that you came to save me. So right with our heads not bowed, our eyes not closed, if that's you, say, Pastor Brent. 
I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to give him my heart. Can you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Any else, anyone else want to join these? Praise God. Right now, church, I want us to pray together and say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. So right now, let's, let's pray this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life. But you took my sin upon yourself and took it to the cross. And three days later, you were resurrected. Death didn't hold you down. And you offer me that same life. And so today I receive it. I make you my king and I make you my Lord from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, Tony's going to come up and lead us in our connection cards. But here's what I ask. Two things. If you are new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Will you let us know on your connection card that you are new? And then also this. If you have made that decision to give your life to Christ, would you mark that in your connection card? Because we want to connect with you, um, give you the tools and next steps. We've got a class that's going to be starting on the next steps of following Jesus and what that looks like. So we want to get you involved with that, answer any questions you have, because now we're engaging on the journey of following Jesus. So please let us know on that connection card, and we will be in touch. Tony. Thank you, Pastor Brent.
So use those cards. Use the electronic means. Let's double this prayer account this year. That's my my hope. The next thing is, as Pastor was speaking, Jesus went into the wilderness. What's your wilderness? What's your wilderness? You know, he did it for 40 days. The Israelites did it for 40 years. They were lost for 40 years. And we go through life in wildernesses and keep it to ourselves. Jesus took on the wilderness for us. It was the first thing he did. So when we give him what's wilderness in ourselves, we're giving up the sin that is in us that holds us back, that keeps us lost, that keeps us out of touch with who he is. So Lord God, I just pray for these connection cards. And if the ushers could come forward, we're going to do the tithes and offerings too. We're going to pay God in prayer. We're going to pay him in our in our monies. It's good because he said double up on it. So whatever he's telling you to double up on, if it's your tithe, double up on it. That's not from me. That's from God. But whatever it is that God is telling you, let him have. Lord God, I just pray for the tithes and offerings, Father God, we put them in your hands. We know that in God's economy that a penny could be a thousand dollars. But Lord God, you're not asking for a penny. You're asking for all of who we are. So Lord, I just lift that up before you. As each person, as you put in their heart by the Holy Spirit what you are saying to them, let them hear, Father God, and let them be obedient immediately. We're going to respond to everything that's happened in this service with one more moment to just praise his name. So will you stand as we praise his name together?
battle to him in all of this. 